either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, remember last week when we said it was kind of quiet? It's not quiet anymore. Bringing out some big guns this week for the holidays. First up, an adaptation of the 1957 musical and 1961 movie, West Side Story explores forbidden love and the rivalry between the Jets and the Sharks, two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds. It's Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. i never seen you before. I'm a Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm going to think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend or foe? And so, yeah, I made the mistake this morning when I called in to one of the uh, radio morning shows that we call with just assuming everybody knows the story here. And that was wrong because who I was talking to didn't know the story. So <laughs> if you don't, to just break it down, really, it, it is. It's Romeo and Juliet yep. adapted for 1950s New York. And instead of feuding families, we have feuding gangs, Puerto Rican gang, the Sharks and the white gang, the Jets. Yeah, and I think I was a little nervous, I think a lot of people, about Spielberg's take on this. And as you know, I don't even like musicals. I do know that. <laughs> I don't I don't particularly like Romeo and Juliet. I mean, this movie is, is was not was not made for me, but I, but Spielberg did an amazing job. He really did. And I do like musicals a lot, and as I've pointed out, not just me, a lot of people have over the years that just because you're a good director, it doesn't mean you can direct musicals. It's a different animal. And boy, he does. He. Did. I just want to point out what we we saw on Twitter the other day because we follow Edgar Wright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's so right, though. Edgar Wright says anybody who thinks Steven Spielberg can't direct a musical obviously never saw Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom because they open when he meets Kate Capshaw's character. She's singing "Anything Goes" yeah, in yeah. this very big, cool-looking Hollywood <laughs> musical number. It was awesome. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. But this is a, a little more extreme and a tougher task to do. Such a classic in West Side Story. And he does. He does an amazing job uh, of directing it, number one. But he also has uh, his longtime or, or, or frequent collaborator, writer, Tony Kushner, who wrote Lincoln, who wrote Munich. He wrote uh, Angels in America, do some of the, the adapted screenplay as well. And I think there's a lot of great updates, improvements, a different way of looking at things. Well, first of all, I think everybody probably knows by now about the casting. It's much more culturally appropriate yeah and uh, not only that but one thing i didn't know until the last couple of days and i love it there are no subtitles for when spanish is being spoken no subtitles at all which is perfect because it helps to put the cultures on equal footing right and not only that when you have people yelling speak english it lands with a little more a little more depth now after all these years of, of course so that good choices all the way around uh, Maria is played by brand newcomer who I guess beat out thousands of other people at an open call. Uh, Rachel Zegler is her name. Amazing voice. Amazing. And maybe it's just me getting older. She looks like she's like 15. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wide eyed and brand new, but what an amazing voice for a little person. Uh, and then Ansel Elgort plays Tony. And we were glad to see that we're based here in Columbus, Ohio, if you didn't know. 
And uh, a Columbus native, Mike Feist, plays Riff, and he is great. Yeah, I mean, for my money, and I, I, this may, maybe it is bias. Maybe it is hometown bias. I, I thought, you said it at lunch today, he is as impressive in this one. He's the standout in this version in the way that Rita Moreno was the standout in the original. Yeah. Yeah, he just he has a presence. He's been on Broadway before and does some did some other uh, film roles as well. And a Tony nomination yes. on Broadway. Yes, but he does. He has a presence that you just sort of drawn to him uh, as as Rita Moreno was. And she is also, as you've probably heard by now, she is in this as well. Ninety year old Rita Moreno, fantastic. Uh, she plays, and it, it it makes perfect sense because in the original movie, if you remember, the store where all the kids congregated was Doc's, mm-hmm. and this old guy. Well, she runs the store now. Yeah. And it's it's a great way to get her in it. And she factors in it in in important ways we're not going to go into because that comes into that that leads us down the road of the some of the subtle changes that they make. So we won't go into that too much, but she really comes into play more that character uh, toward the end of the film. And it's just, it's fantastic to see her. And I would not, first of all, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Mike Feist get an Oscar get a nomination. nomination yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Rita Moreno get one either. The way that Spielberg changed up some of the uh, dance numbers, the locations of the different dance yep. numbers, uh, I thought worked incredibly well. I know that you did too. Yeah, I did. Starting right with the first meeting between Tony and Maria. It's a subtle change about where in the gymnasium they first started mm-hmm. talking. But then that just starts some of these subtle changes throughout the musical numbers, which are really staged in a fantastic manner. His his camera is constantly moving. It's it's wide to get in the breadth of the choreography, and then it zooms in uh, on a just a nice panning shot, and then it heads upward on an aerial oh, yeah, shot, yeah. and so, where you see above the dancers or the rumblers when right. the when the guys are fighting, right. and some of the lighting and the oh, yeah, framing. The it, it looks fantastic. It really, it really, really does. does. He's, he's his longtime cinematographer that he's worked with for years. Janusz Kaminski is his name. I'd expect a, an Oscar nomination there. Uh, does a fantastic job. And the set design, they find a way to make just, you know, usual everyday drab, like hanging laundry mm. or remnants of clothes in, in, in the dress shop, become just elegant props that the uh, characters dance around or sing around. It, it looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. Of course, the songs are the same. The uh, Leonard Bernstein music and Stevens Hanheim lyrics. As you get farther into it, though, when the gang war becomes more deadly, I think the the film does a really great job of raising the stakes. Yeah, as we were saying earlier, the stakes are the same. They're just treated with uh, a little bit more brutality. Brutality yeah. is probably too strong a word, but they they feel grittier. They feel scarier. And there is a particular scene in the film which always was to me the uh, the most sort of powerful scene in the film and and in, in the this, 61 in the 61 film uh, and uh, it was really uh, one where Rita Moreno got the opportunity to to really shine and in this film they amp it up a lot in a way that I thought was wonderful actually yeah. I, I mean I thought it was a great I agree revision and really right from the start from the in the opening minutes the first time the two gangs are together I thought the threat of real actual violence was more palpable. Right. It looks like they're actually fighting. Yes. And so, so so right away, you feel it just a little. It's a little more palpable. And, uh, yeah, we mentioned the the opening, uh, the first time that Tony and Maria meet. And then there's a change of scenery for Officer Krupke song, which right. I thought worked better. Mm-hmm. And also, I Feel Pretty. They changed the setting of that. Yes, they did. And I thought that really worked well. Yeah, I did, too. Uh, it's, in a, it's in a department store now, and it's set around these lily-white mannequins depicting scenes of white suburban 
ambition, I guess, yeah. and to have these girls running around. It's 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 a nice uh, ironic contrast there that works really well with that such a joyous, fun song. And also the character of anybody's. I yeah. thought I liked the way that character was handled in in this film. Mm-hmm. I thought that, and I thought the performance was really good. And it just it gave it a bit of depth that was lacking the first time around. Yeah, Iris Manus plays uh, anybody's. Yeah, her gender conflict or her identity conflict is much more clearly defined. I yeah, think. whereas I think in the original it was like just a tomboy. Exactly. You know, in this one it is not. That is not what the right. what the the character uh, represents. And I thought that the performance was really good. Yeah, and it's clear without going overboard. Right. I think so. That was very nice. Yeah. There's just a lot of uh, areas of the film that I just think have more depth about it, especially there's a move late in the film, and I'm not going to give it away, but um, I thought it was a bold choice for Spielberg because it reminded me of the movie version, 1985 movie version of A Chorus Line, uh, directed by Richard Attenborough. Now, there's an example of a good director who had no idea how to direct a musical. Not only the musical numbers, but a choice he made or somebody made uh, late in the film where they changed the context of one of the most emotional songs in the score that totally ruined it. It showed me at the time, still does, that they didn't even have a clue or care about, either they didn't know or didn't care about what the entire show was saying. Now here, he does something similar with changing the context of a song, but I think it works beautifully to expand Tony and Maria's love story to a more universal nature and speaks to a wider type of um, type of struggle. I thought I'm, I'll be interested to talk to other people maybe purists, if you will, what they thought of this. Because I thought it was a bold move, a risky move, but it really pays off. Also, another thing I think we should mention is Corey Stahl, who's always so good. He plays Lieutenant Shrank, and his, what do you call it, casual bigotry. Yes. It stings more now. It really does. I mean, it it really, he's a great actor. And and he just has a couple of scenes where it's just so clear. He's just dripping with it. He does a great job. Yeah, just another. Another guy you want to (laughs) smack. Yeah, it's just another area where they just raise the stakes mm-hmm. of the film. Is that all right if I complain, though, about, I hate Maria. <laughs> you can, yes. You know, that character. I hate that character. She's so self-centered. And then, you know, she's the hero of the film, and, and it drives me crazy. It just does. <laughs> it drives me crazy. And there's a particular scene with Anita that I want to smack Maria across the face so hard. She's so selfish. Yeah. So anyway, with, it's just something I have to get off my chest. It has the, to do with the first time that uh, Tony and Maria spend the night together. Let's put it that way. I, I think you have a point there. I do. And I, but I thought that in the in the original movie. And I, I, know, oh, I know you do, too. But uh, I, I, that's a point taken. But overall, fantastic, fantastic job. Just, just the way it pops off the screen alone, uh, I think, is worth it. So great job by Spielberg and everybody all the way around. And it's in theaters now. We saw the IMAX version. That's nice. Oh, yeah. It's a gorgeous movie. It's a gorgeous gorgeous movie. movie. It really is. So enjoy it. The new West Side Story out now. Another classic from the past next. This film follows Lucy and Desi as they face a crisis that could end their careers and another that could end their marriage. This is Aaron Sorkin writing and directing Being the Ricardos. Why is this coming out now? Lucille Ball's a threat to the American way of life. Does the FBI have any case against Lucy? I need you to help me save my marriage. How many times I gotta explain where I was and what I was doing? You gotta explain. Are you being funny right now? I'm Lucille Ball. When I'm being funny, you'll know. This is getting out of hand. Madness. Have you been cheating on me? The story's made up. If they boo me? If they boo you, we're done. Sorry. I got lost for a second. 
I care about what's funny. I care about you. Oh, you're scaring the shit. I was just gonna say, good show. Good show. Good show. Now, the good thing was, I didn't have to explain to the radio host I called this morning who Lucille Ball was. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. I don't know about Desi Arnaz. But, uh, yeah, this is uh, writer-director, celebrated writer-director Aaron Sorkin. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think he does a great job here, starting with the fact that he only focuses on one week. This is not a life story no. or how they got together or anything like that. This focuses on one tumultuous week, not only in the show— I love Lucy, but in their marriage. Yeah, I, I I really do appreciate that. That is the framework for this story because, you know, he does a great job. There are a couple of flashbacks, a handful of flashbacks to where to when Lucy and uh, Desi Arnaz meet. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's confined to this this one week. And I think that that does a great job. Number one of keeping you invested. It's a very, very sort of. Very high pressure week. And then the other thing is that, which is harder to do, I think, it gives you everything you need to know about these characters. Yeah. And for, first of all, there's been a lot of, there was a lot of talk of, ever since she was cast about Nicole Kidman getting the role. She does not look exactly like Lucia Ball. She doesn't no. look anything like Lucia Ball. And Javier Bardem doesn't look like Desi Arnaz. He does not. But they're both great actors. And I'll tell you what, Nicole Kidman got the voice down. Yeah, she did. Not, not only the voice of Lucy when she's in Lucy mode, right. but in the voice of Lucille Ball when right. she's the, off The off very screen. smoky, yeah. deeper. Yeah, she, I mean, she does a great job she of does. inhabiting the character. And, and she's aided by, and I am not a, a massive Sorkin fan. His writing gets on my nerves periodically, but I think that the two of them together, his writing and her performance, you see her struggle with being the boss Without yeah. coming across as the boss, right. and 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 that and the the interesting thing about the struggle is that it's not simply that she's being sort of told by the corporation that's run by men and and you know her her colleagues who are men and her husband who is her partner who's a man, even though all of these people are making a fortune off of her and her talent. Mm-hmm. It's not just that she's sort of getting from all of them that she needs to take a back seat and not come across like she's the boss. But as a as a you know a figure of her own time, she also sort of feels like that. She doesn't yeah. want to come across as being the boss, and that's that. I think is it's a tough, nuanced turn, you know, because it's also. And then there's a, a character played by Elia Shawcat who's frustrated with Lucille Ball, who is her mentor, for not just embracing the fact that she is a strong woman, mm-hmm. and that's what Lucille Ball, she's not. She doesn't want to embrace that fact. She wants to have a nice home. She yeah. wants to have a nice family. She wants to have a nice job. And uh, and I, I loved the that the extra character was very important for me to see it from all these different angles. Yeah, and there's all, it's, a great, it's a great ensemble, great supporting cast, not only uh, Alia Shawkat, but also you've got J.K. Simmons, so the great, great. playing William Frawley, who was Fred Mertz in I Love Lucy, and then Vivian Vance from I Love Lucy is played by Nina Arianda, who's also a... a a good, mostly supporting actor. And they do a great job they as do. well. Able to carve out with, of course, Sorkin's script, indelible characters, but without as much screen time. And so they all do a great job. One thing you do have to point out, this is not a comedy. I know she was a comedian. It was a comedy show. This is not a comedy. It's not trying to be. No. This is about no. the drama going on behind the scenes, especially this week when not only was their marriage in trouble, but a story came out during the Red Scare of the times that she was actually a communist. 
So that is what threatened the show. So you've got that whole drama going on. So it's not a comedy, but I get you about Sorkin's writing. I th- it feels a little, I don't want to say dumbed down, but it, it feels he can really go over the heads of the general mm-hmm. public, of everyone. <laughs> but I think he tried to. He tries to bring this down more mainstream, I think. And he also always does a good job, well, like he did in uh, Chicago 7, of weaving in different facets of history uh, and and not having it drag i think uh, i think with different with different layers of what was going on on the show away from the show planning the show uh, the, the whole communist scare thing in their marriage so I, I thought it was it wasn't perfect but it's uh it's a good solid drama about about a, a legendary figure in pop culture and if you didn't know for people that didn't know it reminds you you can't it can't be overstated how popular she was. Oh yeah. On on just it cannot be. No. That show was massive and she held as you alluded to so much power as a woman mm-hmm. at that time and yet was being well, encouraged the, to downplay it. Yeah, one of the things that they point out at the beginning of the show or beginning of the film is that right now if a TV show got 11 million viewers it would be massively successful and I Love Lucy had 60 million viewers every week yeah it is it is really hard to gauge how incredibly powerful and popular lucille ball was yeah so it definitely reminds you of that and it's just a great uh, homage to an incredible figure uh in entertainment and uh definitely worth seeing it is it's an amazon film so it will be out probably sooner than most uh for streaming but not right now it's in theaters only and uh, we enjoyed being the ricardo's Well, this next one is going to be fun to talk about. Two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy Earth. It's called Don't Look Up. Our guests today have made a pretty big discovery in space. How big is this thing going? I can't destroy my ex-wife's house. Is that possible? (laughs) There's a 100% chance that we're all going to die. Hey. Okay. <laughs> well, the handsome astronomer can come back anytime, but the yelling lady, mm, not, so not so much. You know that girl from Live TV said we're all gonna die? No. Yo, bro! There it is! A giant comet hurling its way towards Earth! Can you see it? I can't! My head is in a bag! Whether you like this film or you don't like this film, has a lot to do with how well you have liked Adam McKay's last two films. Yeah, because... So that... if you like Step Brothers, well, that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> anything. Right, right. right. But if you liked Vice and if you liked The Big Short, mm-hmm. there's a good chance you're going to like this film. Yeah, he's moved into quote-unquote political comedy. And this is going to be very, very polarizing for a lot of reasons. We know from after the the critic screening that we saw, one of our fellow critics hated it. Oh, he hated was it ready so to much. fight. Yeah, uh, and we did not hate it at all. We liked it, and uh, but it's going to, it's going to fall along political lines, and it's also going to fall al- along the the type of humor that you like. Now, I wouldn't call Adam McKay is if we didn't we mention his name. We right. did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A satirist. I don't think he's a he's become a, a true satirist. He uses some satire, but these past three films have also been farce. They've been a little SNL skit comedy because a lot of times I think the best satire comes when you're making fun of one thing, but actually talking about something else. And a lot of times McKay's humor is just so on the nose about what he's talking about. It's sort of his own. To me, it's sort of his own kind of special blend. But it is very political. 
And this one is star studded. Another great ensemble. This has been a this has been a great year for ensembles. Oh great yeah, ensembles. amazing. Yes, and this is one too. You've got uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence playing these two astronomers who have to warn everybody that they have found a comet that's going to destroy the Earth in just over six months. And right away they find that the president, played by Meryl Streep, and her chief of staff son, perfectly played by Jonah Hill, they're so not good. interested. They want to sit tight and assess. <laughs> so. They decide, the astronomers decide to take their alarm to the people and go on this vapidly positive cable morning talk show hosted by Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry, who are perfect. And they get labeled, well, first of all, Jennifer Lawrence gets labeled as, as a shrill chicken little for screaming with her uh, severe warnings and severe bangs. <laughs> <laughs> and then Leonardo DiCaprio becomes the hot doctor that's right who uh, everybody wants to have on their show and he becomes a celebrity and that just starts the ball of ridiculousness rolling and pretty soon as we do today you are divided into tribes yeah. either you will follow the advice from everyone uh, on the science side and just look up and see the comet or you're a denier who's encouraged to don't look up you know i think if it were just that i would not have really liked this film very well because i as true and honest as that is, it's wearisome to me by this point. Mm -hmm. It'd be far too obvious. But I think that it also has a lot to say with um, just everybody, regardless of the aisle you fall on, and how quickly we just move past things and we don't dig in and pay attention. We just would rather hear something positive. Yeah. Um, and, and you and I were saying, uh, I think one of the big deciding factors, whether or not you find this film funny, is... If you've just given up hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's sad because I think one of the reasons is this this fellow critic that we've talked about who hated it. I think one of the reasons, I haven't really talked to him about it, but you may feel that these issues are too important to be made light of. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of Adam McKay's comedy. It can toe the line between shedding light on something and making light of it. And I get that because these are these are very trying times we're living in. So I get that, and I get your point, and that's well taken. I also just thought it was funny. Uh, a lot of this, I laughed, and, and we both have talked about. There's a running gag about Jennifer Lawrence and expensive snacks. Hilarious. That I still laugh at thinking about it now. It's very funny. So, yeah, I, just, I think, think there's a lot of this movie that is funny, and if you feel okay laughing at it. But that's part of the message of this film. There's a great song in this movie and man, I hope this song gets nominated for an Oscar because I want to see somebody do it right down to every last lyric on the show. Uh, the song's called Just Look Up, sung by Ariana Grande, who's playing a, a typical teen pop idol. She's kind of playing Ariana Grande. <laughs> yeah, but she does a pretty good job with her poking fun at her own image. Anyway, part of the lyrics in it say, celebrate or cry or pray, whatever it takes. And, and that's sort of the message here as well. If you, if you feel like laughing about it, and, and I do, because I don't think he's trying. Uh, I think uh, some of the charges will be, oh, look at you. Are you trying to change my mind? I don't think he's trying to change anyone's mind. I don't think so at all. I think that as, uh, as a filmmaker, he's working through his own anger. Right. That's all I think he's doing. Yeah, and like, if you're also this angry, work through it with me. Right. Um, you exactly. know, and a lot of people, that's how you work through anger yeah. is, is with jokes. I, I think mean, if that's you're from exactly a big right. Irish Catholic family, that's then you're not unfamiliar <laughs> with that notion. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I do not think he's trying to change anybody's mind. Exactly. I think he's just, you know, and I think you can see that in, 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 um, Vice as well. It's just he's angry. He's a very angry filmmaker, and he's funny. Yeah, 
and this is the way you take because really anybody today that thinks they're going to change somebody's mind as 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 firmly as the sides are dug in now, I think is just sort of. Uh, Ridiculous. Well, it's funny. I think that is actually a very big theme of the film it itself. Is. Exactly. You right. just get throw up your hands because there right. is no changing anybody's mind until the actual asteroid blows up the planet. That's exactly right. That's why I, I kind of mentioned, I alluded to that in my written review with the fact that I think he knows the the barbs are going to be thrown his way, and the the movie actually addresses some yeah. of them in it. So, yeah. uh, and and also if you're gonna if you go hang around, there's one mid credit scene and one. After the credit scene, and it's, yeah, just, uh, I guess, fair warning, you know what kind of uh, comedy you like, and if this sounds like it's your bag, I think you will laugh, but it's going to be polarizing, and it is in theaters now called Don't Look Up. Well, those are the three big ones, but we've got some smaller movies uh, of interest as well. This first one is an Italian film, story of a boy in the tumultuous Naples of the 1980s, and it's uh, filmmaker Paolo Sorrentino, most his most personal film yet, the tale of fate and family, sports and cinema, love and loss. It's the hand of God. And hula hoops. <laughs> it's <a> great. <laughs> yeah, there's some hula hoop. Uh, talent in this movie, just a, just a short scene, but it's very impressive. It is. I was very impressed. Very impressive. But this is, I really like this filmmaker. He did a movie uh, a few years ago called The Great Beauty I Loved. He did El Devo years ago. And this one is basically him talking to and talking about his teenage self and the story about how a, a young boy who goes by, uh, is, is Fabietto, but he goes by Fabi, came to decide on a career in filmmaking. But as a young boy in the 1980s, his, his life is just surrounded by family and neighbors and passersby and some ridiculous things that happen and just love and laughter and sadness. And he's, he does a great job, uh, the filmmaker does, just combining all this into a really warm tale about the people, places, and twists of fate that sort of make us what we are. It is a bit long. Uh, toward the end, it feels a little bit self-indulgent, but, and it's also, it's from a very male perspective. Yep, as, as all of his films as are. As they are. And it also has more of his, he, he has his fantastic job, not only with landscapes, but with architecture. This guy loves architecture, yeah, and the beautiful. way he frames mm-hmm. it is just another, is another example of this movie. But, uh, uh, the Hand of God, if you're a soccer fan, you know that that uh, term dates back to the 1986 World Cup when uh, Diego Maradona, who these characters are fanatically rooting for, he had a goal in that World Cup that is still debated, but the movie brings that phrase into play in another non-sports type of metaphor as well. And it's just one of the things that is uh, handled very, very uh, effectively in this movie. And um, it is, again, it's in Italian. And uh, with subtitles, <laughs> which is fine. I know some people don't like them, but uh, it's a, just a little bit, a little bit long, but a very enjoyable tale of, of family and really a, a personal sort of a me- memoir. I would think. I don't know how many of the things that happened, and there is one big tragedy in this movie. So I don't know if that actually happened to the filmmaker or not, but I, I imagine it's pretty autobiographical, leading to the time when he decided that he was going to be a filmmaker and a fine filmmaker that he is. And it's in theaters now called The Hand of God. This is Italy's 
submission for the Oscars. That's right. So we will see if it gets a nomination or not. But uh, Hand of God in theaters now. Well, here's another interesting film that defies convention a little bit. Rumors of demonic possession at a religious convent prompts a church investigation into the strange goings-on among its nuns. A disaffected priest and his neophyte are confronted with temptation, bloodshed, and a crisis of faith in Agnes. Used to be a nun, huh? Yeah, I was. Golly, I've always wanted to meet a nun. I bet you got all kinds of stuff just stirring up inside you. Hello there, Agnes. Sister Agnes, can you hear me? Holy Mary, Mother of God! It's a funny thing because you wrote the written review of this movie, but usually if it's a nun movie, especially if it's a nun horror movie, it right. comes to me. But um, but this was all you, and you were kind of impressed because it was a surprise. Yeah, it was a surprise. In fact, I don't even care for that synopsis because it makes you think it's a real demonic possession movie, and it's not. It, it takes such a tone shift after they get through the convent stuff because there is a, uh, a young sister who they think has the devil in her, and they turn to these priests to drive the devil out, and, and that is Agnes, the title of the movie. But it's really not about Agnes. This movie is about what happens to Sister Mary, who is a friend of Agnes. And after the events of the uh, attempted exorcism, which is sort of hilarious, this movie is weirdly funny. They bring in this (laughs) other sort of renegade priest, and his exorcism tactics sort of resemble... The, the woman in airplane that just gets beaten up by person after person. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's nutty. But anyway, the point of the movie is what happens to Mary, because after that, she decides to leave the convent, go back to regular life. And she has had some big tragedy in her life, and she's searching for something. She's searching for uh, for healing. And the point, then, is what happens to her and how she gets back to a normal life. And the real, the... The foreshadowing is something that one of the the, the priests, the, the guy who's uh, performing the exorcism, says early on. He remarks that a belief in evil has is on the rise. So where is the corresponding belief in godly things? That's the message here. That is what Mary is trying to find as she goes about her normal life after she leaves the convent. And I so said, if, if you look at it that way. It's enjoyable. I thought it's it's quirky. It's it's weirdly funny. It's sort of it's it's very ambitious, and it's and it is going to take you off guard with this tone shift once it leaves the nunnery silliness. I think because it is sort of silly in the early part, but then it's not, and uh, it's really sweetly hopeful by the end about this woman who has suffered a tragedy, looking for hope and looking for a reason to believe. And if you look at it that way and don't come into it looking for a horror movie, despite what the trailer or the synopsis might say, uh, I think you could enjoy it. And that is on VOD. It's called Agnes. Got a comedy next. Adam thinks marrying Gina will save his life, but to her, true love might mean divorce. This is called Are You Happy Now? I don't have what most people would call friends. We were fighting about you, about us. Gina! I love who you are. I can't go back to the house. Here, I took it off two days ago. I just wish there was some way to make him understand he didn't need to live in fear. Happy now? (laughs) 
This is from writer-director David Beinstein, and actually Rachel Willis wrote the review for this at MadWolf.com, and she thought it was okay. Yeah, Josh Rubin plays just kind of a loser. He's just kind of a loser. <laughs> They're out there. Yeah, and he and he wants to marry his girlfriend, and I think she recognizes uh, that what you're going nowhere, and that's the whole movie. It's, just, it's a guy who's not going anywhere, and he and his friends wear chicken suits because they either have or do work for a chicken chain store, and the two friends are the most fun who wear chicken suits. They're very very funny, but on the whole, the movie, I mean, it's fine, and and uh, the performances are fine. The movie doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't resolve anything. A lot of existential dread in chicken suits. You know what it reminded me of? This it seems to have died down the last few years, but the mumblecore craze. It's remember a few years ago, I, I thought that every movie I was reviewing was a mumblecore movie. <laughs> Just one after the other after the other. And then I haven't seen one for a while. This sort of reminded me of, of that sort of sensibility. A little bit, yeah, I can see that. And that is on VOD now. If you want to check out the full review from Rachel. It's at madwolf.com. It's called Are You Happy Now? And we'll close with an animated action fantasy. It's Monkey King and his fellow disciples trying to rescue their master within three days. This is called Monkey King Reborn. Sun Wukong has destroyed the sacred tree and unleashed the demon ancestor Yuandi. Come on, we have to save master. Apparently, he's a mischievous little trickster. It's a pretty common character in Chinese folk tales, mm. and so, uh, and this is a Chinese film, and uh, and he's not an uncommon fixture in uh, Chinese animation. And Matt Weiner reviewed this one for us, and he found it kind of middling. Actually, he doesn't feel as he thought the final act was really great. And unfortunately, the rest of the film didn't give you any reason to invest in these characters so that the payoff really kind of landed. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked good, didn't look great, looked fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if if um, it's it's not quite anime, but I think it's got a little bit of that appeal as well. So I know there's an audience for this. Oh, yeah. The Monkey King is actually, again, he he's a pretty common character across a lot of different media uh, that comes out of China. So if it's something that you have an interest in, I think it might keep your attention, might keep your kids' attention. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, it's it's pretty middling after. Yeah, and Matt Weiner's review is at madwolf.com. That's on VOD now. Monkey King Reborn. All right, it's lobby time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. Always the latest news on uh, new projects and new dates. What do you got? Well, not a whole lot this week, but there's a couple things. Uh, First up on the bad news front, uh, Disney has removed the Fox erotic thriller Deep Water from their release schedule. It was originally supposed to hit theaters next month on January 14th. Um, There's no indication at this point whether it's going to get moved to later in the year or if it's going to head to a streaming service. I know with a lot of the Fox movies, even some of the ones that they might have wanted to sell off, they couldn't because Fox had pre-sold streaming rights before the Disney-Fox merger happened. So I'm not sure if that's the case with Deepwater. If it's not, then it could end up on Hulu, but... 
Caucus. We'll just see, but hopefully we'll get it sooner rather than later because it's based on a Patricia Highsmith novel, you know, kind of like Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, yeah, okay. And it stars, it stars Ben Affleck, Anya de Armas, and Tracy Letts. Ah. And it's the first film from director Adrian Lin in 20 years. Wow. So he hasn't directed anything since Unfaithful. And this is his return. So wow. hopefully it's good, and hopefully we'll get it sooner rather than later. I did not realize he'd been on hiatus for that long. That's amazing. I, I didn't either. All right. On the good news front, um, a couple years back, Robert Rodriguez had directed a new low-budget thriller called Red Eleven. Um, it was his way to pay tribute to his roots by making another $7,000 movie, just like El Mariachi, when he kicked off. Um, it was originally supposed to come out on the streaming platform Tubi last year, but for whatever reason, that didn't end up happening. But it kind of quietly hit VOD earlier this week, so if anyone's interested in seeing that, you can now rent or purchase it digitally through most VOD outlets. And, that, and that's called what, Red 11? Red 11. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, 7000 bucks. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get you what nowadays, catering? Probably. And, of course, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's some not, not a fancy accounting there, but of course that man has his own studio down in Austin, Texas. So I'm I'm imagining that seven thousand dollars is going a little bit farther yeah. than it did back in the early nineties for him. <laughs> Probably so. And on February eighteenth on Netflix we will be getting the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Uh, for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> We're excited. Yep. <laughs> well well I would hope that it can't be worse than the last couple installments, but I don't want to jinx myself. <laughs> right. So maybe we'll get a good one. Yeah. Who knows? We can hope. We can hope. And Sony has set their animated superhero opus, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, for an October 7th theatrical release next year. And that, of course, is a sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And presumably Part 2 of this two-part sequel will arrive in October of 2023. You know, and I was just telling a co-worker the other day that hadn't seen uh, Into the Spider-Verse how great it is. I mean, anybody that has just, I don't know, missed it because it's animated or whatever, don't. Go seek it out. It's fantastic. Oh, it's great. And the animation is great, too. It's yes. very distinctive. It's like a living comic book. Oh, it's just awesome. And then the last thing I have for you, which is, pertinent to this week's big release. Um, Universal has set a November 23rd release next year for Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical drama, The Fableman. So that's loosely based on his life growing up and his obsession with movies as a child and starting to make his own. Um, there's a lot of uh, rumors going around that it might be his last movie. Obviously, it's the kind of one that would be a nice button on a career, but... Mm -hmm. Given that you know he's younger than Ridley Scott, who is just cranking them out left and right, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be surprised if he keeps going. <laughs> yeah, I even if they say it now, I somehow I doubt it. But uh, yeah. but, but looking forward to it. All right, you can always catch up the latest news with the Schlocketeer at the Schlocketeer on uh, the social medias. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week. Big week, big, big week. week. More big releases out, starting with Spider-Man: No Way Home. Nightmare Alley. Yeah, we've already seen that. Can't wait to talk about that. Also, another one that we've already seen called The Lost Daughter. And a Swan Song. Yeah, this is a new Swan Song. There was a Swan Song, one of actually our favorite smaller movies from last or from this year, right. actually. This is a new one. Yes. Starring, starring Mahershala, Mahersh Ali. Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. Yeah, so looking forward to that. Also, I love this title, Bad Luck or Looney Porn. <laughs> okay. Mother Android. And, oh, another one we've already seen, Achura. 
yeah. is out next week as well. So another big week heading to the big holiday. So uh, we'll talk about those then, but this week, a big week as well. So let us know what you thought about anything this week. The new West Side Story, being the Ricardos, or Don't Look Up. You think it was funny or not, or you want to talk about those expensive snacks <laughs> that are still funny. Uh, let us know. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. It's at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. New episode dropping uh, in just a couple of days, by the way. You can find all that at MadWolf.com. So, hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great holiday season. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>